Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species is a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. It's broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia, and streamed live via the 3CR website. Podcasts are available via the 3CR website and the Freedom of Species website. Welcome to Freedom of Species. I'm Kate Gracie, and I'm in the studio with Reem Lascelles. Thanks for joining us, Reem. Thanks for having me, Kate. Reem has been a rescuer of farmed animals for many years, and she's been trying to bring attention to the plight of meat rabbits, and that's led to a Master's in Animal Law with a case study on farmed rabbits. Mind you, this follows a PhD in physics many years ago. Now, Reem, your paper is titled The Oxymoron of Caged Animal Welfare, a Case Study in the Australian Caged Rabbit Meat Industry. Can you start just by unpacking the oxymoron that you refer to? Yeah, sure, Kate. Um, Well, an oxymoron is basically two words that have different meanings, um, and I was wondering how can we call um, how can we have in the same sentence caged and animal welfare? How can you um, um, put animal welfare and um, as a protection mechanism for animals that are in cages under um, severely deprived conditions of natural behavior? So what I'm trying to do is look into um, conditions that animals are under in those cages and ask, is animal welfare actually protecting them? Right. Can you describe the conditions that farmed rabbits, rabbits that are farmed for meat, can you describe the conditions that they have to endure? Yeah, well, basically domestic rabbits are um, battery caged in Australia. So the industry practice is to put them in small cages, um, basically at, on um, A4 sheet of paper, space-wise. Like a chicken. Like a battery hen, yep. exactly. Yep. Um, they are prey animals, so they're naturally very scared. And in those cages, industry practice is that the cages are um, um, all opened, so they don't have any protection from the environment, from noises. The cages are very small, So rabbits in nature get startled, so they don't have any place to go. Uh, They don't have much space above their heads. So any time they're frightened, they bump their head in the upper cage. Um, Sometimes they can't reach food. They can't reach water. There's a lot of disease and um, conditions there. Um, And basically, even the CSIRO has written about that um, disease in farms and that causes 30 to 50 percent of wieners to die. Um, What's a wiener? A wiener is a, is a rabbit between until the age of uh, four weeks old. Oh right, okay, it's very small. Very young. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so they don't have any bedding? They don't, th- yeah, they don't have any straw, any bedding, they don't have places to hide. Um, they don't have any freedom to move, to stand, to stretch, or even to lie down. Like rabbits um, can't thermoregulate, 
So they need, um, in case of them being um, overheated, they need to lay down and stretch, but they don't have that. Um, there is no um, recognition on or treatment of injury and disease when you look at their conditions. Um, they have a lot of, um, the, the cages are all wire cages, so they have a lot of sore hocks, sore pads that go hocks, right. Is that their feet? Their feet. Yeah. So you can see in footage that a lot of them, their their legs go through the cages as well. There's no support. Um, rabbits on the top tier um, can also urinate at the bottom. There's a... Oh. Oh, so they're, they're basically they're pooing and weeing onto the ones below them? Uh, sometimes, yes. Okay. And there's, um, there's a lot of ammonia produced from all the urine that's there. As in the gas, an ammonia yes. gas. Yeah. Yes, okay. ammonia gas. So uh, rabbits are very susceptible to um, respiratory uh, diseases as well. So um, they, they can get quite sick from all that ammonia produced by the urine. Um, so they're, they're kept in very unsanitary conditions. How many rabbits would you typically find in a cage? Uh, probably between 10 and 15. Wow. So they're given approximately an A4 page each. And they would essentially take up an A4 page, wouldn't they? They would. I mean, one of those, what breed are they? The, uh, the New Zealand Whites. The New Zealand Whites are pretty yes. big rabbits. They would kind of fill an A4 page. They would. Um, these rabbits are put in there between when they're born to the age of um, average age of 12 when they're slaughtered. So, um, but the the main rabbits, the does and the bucks, the female and male rabbits, they're kept in complete isolation in separate cages as well. Next to each other, or it it also depends. Um, it, some some model codes of practice, like the one in Victoria, um, recommends that uh, isolated does and bucks should see each other. Um, but, sorry, they should or they shouldn't. They should because they should, they're yeah. social animals. Okay. But again, um, this is an intensive farm, so you can't really hide rabbits from each other right. in intensive farms. Yeah. So they're mixed genders, the young does and the young bucks? Yes, they are. Do they fight? They do fight, yes. So um, rabbits, um, domestic rabbits are actually not too different from wild rabbits. They've been uh, domesticated in the last 1,400 years, I believe. So a lot of their behavior is similar to wild rabbits. And also cram. They have a. They have this magnificent, magnificent social system um, and hierarchies. So when you put a lot of rabbits together, they can't move. They they don't have their natural behaviour. So they start fighting, just like hens. Yeah, like uh, um, any animal crammed in those conditions. Like we would be in an like, elevator. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. I realise that this may be a little distressing, but can you also describe how the rabbits are slaughtered? Because I, I think it's important that we understand what these rabbits are subjected to right up to the, to the end of their lives. Yes, so um, the model code of practice um, uh, of this industry recommends uh, slaughter by what's called cervical dislocation. Now, um, basically cervical dislocation is a sharp blow to the back of the neck or head where the skull um, and head is dislocated from the spinal cord. Um, that's basically what they call stunning mechanism. And then they um, the, they basically would hang them upside down and bleed them to death. Um, now, the, there, there was a report written by the Rural Industries uh, Research Development Corporation, the RIRDC, and uh, they looked at different states in Australia and wanted to compare different mechanisms, how they're slaughtered and stunned, 
and they found that um, there this ranged from anything from not stunning them at all, so bleeding them straight while to, they're conscious, while they're conscious, to um, over stunning them, um, where they found rabbits full of blood clots and bruises. But again, cervical dislocation. Um, there's evidence, scientific evidence, that cervical dislocation can keep an animal conscious up to 13 seconds. So a lot of animals, a lot of rabbits, would be bled alive conscious. And I, I also would like to just take this opportunity to mention that um, this same breed, the New Zealand white breed, okay, they're, they're the big white rabbits with the albino eyes. That you there see is, in the pet stores? Yes, and in research. They're the oh, ones right. that are used for cosmetic testing. Right. So in research, when we look at the inconsistencies in animal welfare protection, in research, um, firstly, for example, they're allowed, um, ideally, space-wise, three hops in, in enclosures, while in the meat industry they're allowed A4, an A4 sheet of paper. But slaughter-wise, the research code... Um, um, says that cervical dislocation is an inhumane method of killing. Clearly. And now we're talking about the same breed, not just the same mm. species, same breed. While the model code of practice recommends cervical dislocation is an acceptable method. Mm, it's crazy. That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. So what are the physical and psychological impacts on the rabbits of these living conditions? Well, it's severe, severe confinement for any animal. Um, um, Physically, a rabbit can't develop their bone structure. Mm -hmm. um, they're, um, they, they move up to 30 keys an hour in wow. the wild. Wow. They're very fast. When they see, um, when they're happy or they see pr uh, an animal of prey, they can zigzag um, to get out of situations. When they're startled, they, they jump. So their hind legs are very strong as well. So here's an animal with all that that's confined and can't move during their whole life, so they're they have a lot of bone issues. Um, a Would lot it be of, like their muscles almost atrophy? Yes, exactly. Yeah, right. They do, and um, of course they have the respiratory conditions, as we mentioned before, from due the to ammonia. ammonia gas. Yep. Um, there's a lot of psychological issue. You see them. Uh, you see a lot of stereotypes in farmed animals. So that's when there's repeated behaviour, ah. like like we see in pig farms. And in zoos. In zoos as well. Yeah. So rabbits are observed to chew on the on the wires a lot, to shake them. They pull at the, they use their paws to just um, scratch the corners. Mm -hmm. We see that a lot. That's uh, stress. That that stereotypes um are known not to um, occur in the wild. So that's that's a condition of confinement and is um brought on by stress. Um, also, when they isolate bucks and does, rabbits are incredibly social animals. Mm. So isolating social mm. animals for their entire life causes a lot of stress as well. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that they're, they're, they're very highly social, highly sensitive, very intelligent animals. And they're, um, I think they're typically very underrated they in are. society. Yes, they are. They, um, there's a, a lot of rabbits now as companion animals in Australia. Mm. So... Um, the last uh, survey in 2016 showed them to be the fifth most popular companion in Australia. Wow. They're, they're quite loved. People don't, un mm. don't know. Until uh, you've had one. Yes. As in your house. You don't know 
how wonderful they are. Yes, and unfortunately, they haven't made it officially to a companion animal, like cats and dogs are mentioned specifically in companion acts, but rabbits are not. There's that gray area because they're used under so many different industries as well. Right. Um, But yes, they're very intelligent. They make an amazing companion. You know, they... They sit next to you on the sofa. They they come to you when you call them. They um they get on with different other animals like mm. cats and dogs. Yeah. They initiate play. They're incredibly social. Right. Now, can you tell us about the typical life of a rabbit that's farmed for meat? Can you sort of run us through that the life of a farmed rabbit? Yes. Yeah, so they're born in captivity. Um. So the um, the female uh, rabbit, the doe, uh, the mother, is um, not provided any straw or under normal conditions. So she basically would rip off her fur to to provide a nesting um, place. Would it, they do that in a natural behaviour to rip off their own fur? They, they would. I think it's a maternal instinct. Oh, wow. But um, usually um, uh, they are provided with straw for as an animal welfare condition just okay. to give them a bit more protection of the elements and rather than just rip her fur off which could be also painful yeah okay um so um rabbits are kept with their um mothers until the age of, of about four weeks old and then the mother is sent back to isolation so all the rabbits are in a cage now and um they go from being wieners to what we call fat fatteners or fattening rabbits, where they give them a high um, a concentrated feed to fatten them up, basically. And uh, uh, that goes on for about eight more weeks. An average of uh, 12 weeks is when the rabbit goes to slaughter. And, um, uh, yeah, so they take them and they um, slaughter them, as I mentioned before, through cervical dislocation. So when they go to slaughter at 12 weeks, what's the proportion of that of their normal life? How long would they naturally live for? Yes, so um, the rabbits are estimated to live between 8 to 12 years. Um, Yes, and yeah, so a tiny, tiny proportion of their life. And they're they're usually slaughtered. The the recommendation of industry is to slaughter them when they reach about 2.2 to 2.4 kilograms. Right. Now, other people, the restaurateurs and the delis and the consumers, do you think they're aware of the cruelty that's involved in rabbit farming? And do they care? You know, I'm not quite sure that all of them would be aware, of course. Um, there, there's, there has been an incident um, where um, one of the um, master chefs had his own restaurant and was serving rabbit, and one of the animal rights um, advocacy groups, uh, Freedom for Farmed Rabbits, approached him to ask him to stop serving rabbits because of the cruel conditions. They showed him uh, footage and photographs, but um, he didn't actually um, uh, respond uh, too quickly to that. But then with um, community behind the advocacy group and more pressure, um, they stopped serving rabbits. And oh, so it's a win. That's a great win. It is a win, and it's documented on Freedom for Farmed Rabbits website. Okay, that's fantastic. Um, is there a? Do you think there's a particular part of the community that buys rabbit meat? Is there like have you identified a certain demographic that that's interested in rabbit meat? 
Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot, trying to devise a geographic information system to locate who is interested. And um, I think the, you find rabbit meat mainly in European butchers. Okay. Uh, you find them uh, quite a bit in, Chi- in Chinese shops and high, um, uh, um, like um, fancy restaurants, the Crown Casino, I think. Um, in 2010, when the rabbit industry was at its peak, um, a lot of restaurants, it was very trendy to eat rabbit. Um, so a lot of um, people on chefs on shows where cooking rabbits, uh, promoting it as a healthy, sustainable meat as well. Yeah. Do you think the rabbit meat market is is growing in Australia? Because I imagine that some people might perceive it to be a sustainable food source without really considering that these are highly sensitive, sensitive intelligent social creatures. Um, there's good demand for it, I'm told, uh, from what I read from the uh, RIRDC uh, papers. But um, when you compare it to when it really started in 1999 or 2001, there were 561 farms around Australia. And um, a decade later, or by 2014, there were 22 left. And uh, they were still the major players there. So the number of rabbits were still farmed were still the same. Um, But due to disease and welfare and how um, intensive the work is, a lot of them declined. Also, there were 21 slaughterhouses, and now most of these big farms um, have their own slaughterhouses in the farms. Today, I can identify about um, probably about uh, eight intensive, large intensive rabbit farms throughout Australia. So it's definitely on the decline. So how many rabbits would an average rabbit farm house? Um... Well, it depends on the sheds. Um, I'd probably estimate maybe in the sheds maybe 20,000 <gasps> per shed. 20,000 rabbits per shed. That's what I would estimate. Um, the the big farms, the big intensive ones. Wow, that's crazy numbers. Yeah, but, um, you know, um, I wouldn't be – I'm not too sure about that. But uh, that's what I would estimate from what I have seen in Europe. Okay. Now tell me – why do you think farm rabbits are so invisible in our society? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think our relationship in Australia with the rabbit being a pest is a big problem. Um, maybe um, people don't really care where rabbits come from, maybe. Um, they. Um, I've done a lot of street surveys and 90% of people don't know that uh, rabbits are intensively farmed. They they presume that they are the game, uh, it's the game meat, so um, they're shot in the wild as a pest, so it's not such a big problem. Also, it's such a niche market that a lot of people, when you ask them, they say, well, we've never eaten rabbits, so they don't know about the existence of it. So it's just not on their radar? It's not, no. Let's just um, have a break with a song. Uh, you've chosen a song for us, Reem. What, what have you got for us? Uh, I've um, chosen Eddie Vedder. The song's called Society, and um, I really like this song because there's one specific line there that sums the whole state of affairs, really. Um, he says, we have a greed with which we all have agreed. Um, so basically, the greed of society is leading us to abuse animals um, without even knowing it. And um, also... Um, 
his lines of um, society, I hope you're not lonely without me because I disagree. It kind of uh, reminds me of uh, vegans and being a vegan as well. And um, because we don't accept this greed and um, we, it actually pushes us to the fringe of society as well. It does, it does. You, you, no doubt you've seen the movie from where this song was used. Yes, Into the Wild. Yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, do, have you read the, and the book, John Krakauer's book, Into the Wild? It's um, magnificent, really good. It really, I often think about Christopher McCandless. He's, um, he, I don't know why, but he often comes to mind about his profound life journey. I'll have to read that. I just watched the movie, but yeah. it was very, very well done. So real, and the music is just so um, passionately written. Let's have a listen. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurang Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurang country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. 3CR You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. That last track you heard was Eddie Vedder with Society. We're in the studio with Reem LaSalle. Reem has been a rescuer of farmed rabbits for many years and she's been trying to bring attention to the plight of meat rabbits. Now, Reem, you write about the five freedoms in your paper. Can you tell me about the five freedoms? Yes, so the five freedoms are basically a benchmark for animal welfare, um, also as defined by the RSPCA. They they started off in the 60s and 70s in England uh, when uh, factory farming started as well. So they provide the basic provisions for animal welfare, um, basically freedom for from hunger and thirst, uh, freedom from discomfort by providing appropriate environment, including shelter, um, freedom to express normal behaviour, by providing sufficient space and proper facilities and company of animals own kind, freedom from fear and distress by ensuring conditions and treatment which avoid mental suffering, and freedom from pain and injury and disease. Are they sufficient for achieving rabbit well-being in the case of rabbit farms? Um, I believe they cannot cannot be achieved in rabbit farms but according to animal welfare scientists once you have the five freedoms met then this is an indication of good welfare so i would as um as someone who runs an animal sanctuary um when you take in a lot of rescues 
I've noticed that I'm applying the, the five freedoms because I give them sufficient feed, sufficient water. I look after their behavior. I give them a lot of um, space to run, even though they have to come back to maybe um, not living like wild rabbits. Um, I make sure they have no diseases. Um, I look after their health and I give them the social um, structure that they need. I provide them with a friend. So uh, for a sanctuary, I think the five freedoms, you can meet them as well, but um, they cannot be met in caged battery farms. It's just not possible, in your opinion? It's not possible. Even the minimum standards of animal welfare that the Model Code of Practice for Husbandry of Rabbits um, states um, cannot be met. I understand that most Australian states have a relevant code of practice for farmed rabbits. That's right. mm-hmm. Are they mandatory and are they even are they adequate? Um, for rabbits, the model code of practice, um, it's, um, it's basically um, an industry husbandry manual guidelines on how to keep uh, rabbits for economic productivity. Um, looking at their husbandry and very basic welfare. Um, the different states have adopted their own versions of it. In 1991, the Commonwealth came up with the Model Code of Practice of Animal Welfare for the, for the Intensive Husbandry of Rabbits, um, and that hasn't been updated since 91. Um, even though the, the um, at the start of the... Um, uh, model code of practice they say that they would with evidence of different behavior and science what science is teaching us basically they would um, revise it but this hasn't been revised um, they are not mandatory as far as I can see in any state except for South Australia um, they are basically used as guidelines for husbandry and under different states compliance with them can be, for example, um, used as evidence against cruelty or as a defense um, that the farmer was basically using um, an appropriate guideline. Do you think they're sort of almost deliberately vague? Yes, I believe so. I learned from your from reading your paper that in, in Victoria, at least, the POCTA Act, which is the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, doesn't apply to meat rabbits the time of their slaughter. Now, how on earth is that justified? Yes. So um, animals usually raised for food and research, they're removed from the uh, cruelty, um, the POCTA and the Anti-Cruelty Acts um, because, well, in the case of rabbits, while they're alive on the farm, you can't actually go and torch them or really physically abuse them. Um, But with their husbandry and um, their minimal amount of welfare, that's where they would be excluded from um, certain provisions in POCTA and they would fall under the moral code of practice. But when they're slaughtered, they become known as a consumable animal in Victoria or New South Wales, an abattoir animal. So their welfare moves to, um, to animal welfare under the Meat Acts. Now, under the Meat Acts, um, the um, license to run abattoir 
um, the, it, one of the conditions is to comply with standards of slaughter. There are two standards of slaughter, a generic meat one that all animals fall under, and one specifically for rabbits. But uh, the uh, slaughter standard that um, rabbits fall under is mostly a hygienic standard with a small section on animal welfare. And they refer back to a model code of practice. And we know that the model code of practice uses cervical dislocation. So um, that's how rabbits are removed during slaughter from POCTA and fall under the Meat Act. So is that the same for other farmed animals also? I believe that... um, uh, animals farmed for food all would uh, move under the animal welfare of specific standards of slaughter, whatever they're defined as. So once they're a farmed animal, then the pocta doesn't apply to them? Mostly they're not, they don't or they're excluded from. For example, in New South Wales, um, it's not so evident, but when you look at pocta in New South Wales, for example, um, rabbits are defined as an animal uh, either as a stock um, animal or an animal usually <clears throat> kept in captivity by means of a cage. Now, under POCTA, you're, you have to exercise an animal. But once an animal is um, a farm animal or an animal kept in a cage, that animal is excluded from exercise. So certain provisions in POCTA exempt those animals. Wow. It's, um, it's breathtaking. Um, now, how do... Australia's farmed rabbit welfare laws compare with those of other rabbit farming countries, maybe like Europe? Yeah. So um, unfortunately in Europe, um, I've been speaking to a European minister um, for animal justice in in the European Parliament, and um, he's having a lot of problems as well with rabbits and um, engaging farmers and engaging the parliament and bringing um, new laws to um, ban the cage for rabbits or enrich it, as in the case that they've done for battery hens. While uh, countries like Switzerland, for example, have removed all cages and they have uh, bigger enclosures now. So unfortunately, rabbits seem to have uh, drawn the short straw uh, in many countries, in America as well. They're very intensively farmed. So do you think rabbits' um, invisibility is sort of similar wherever you go? Yes, I believe so. Although in Europe they're not really known as a pest because rabbits come from the Iberian Peninsula as well. Right. Um, But maybe their passiveness, their tameness, Mm. um, people look at them as, um, I don't know, they they go under the radar. Um, I haven't quite established what the reason is. But for example, also in Europe, most farms are in Italy, in Spain, in France. And those are maybe the um, uh, uh, countries that have, um, that are um, less, have have a, a worse economy, maybe. Right. And that's maybe why they wouldn't want to go towards um, redoing all their cage systems. Right. Now, I I understand that rabbits are exploited in a variety of ways in Australia and and with each way, the law gives a different level of protection. And your paper includes a kind of a story of Freddie, a New Zealand white rabbit, and that story explains how rabbits can fall under many 
different so-called animal protection laws. Can you run us through that story of Freddie, the New Zealand white, and kind of explain that story? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, before I start, I just want to acknowledge the work of Siobhan O'Sullivan. Um, uh, she talks about the story of um, bugs under her book, um, Animals, uh, Equality and Democracy. So I've, ex- I've, I've expanded that story um, and I've, I speak about, um, uh, I tell the story of Freddie, a New Zealand white rabbit. And um, Freddie starts his life in a pet shop in Melbourne. So within the pet shop, Freddie is protected by uh, uh, different statutes, basically POCTA, the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, and the Prevention um, of Cruelty to Animals Regulation, the Domestic Animal Act as well. Um, Also, there's another code of practice for the operation of pet shops. So Freddie, as a pet, is really well protected in the pet shops. Um, This... um, uh, code of practice, though, um, of pet shops also lists minimum standards of accommodation, but uh, Freddie is protected. So say a child walks into this pet store at Easter and purchases Freddie at five weeks old. Now, um, Freddie now moves from being the property of the store owner to becoming the property of the boy. So Freddie will be protected by POCTA, and that entitles Freddie to food, drink and shelter, as well as a protection from unreasonable pain and suffering. Now, the boy, say the boy, stops cleaning Freddy's cage, so the parents think that the upkeep of the rabbit is just too hard, and they set Freddy loose in the bushland. Now, Freddy is roaming free out of an enclosure, and he will be deemed to be a pest animal by the Catchment and Land Protection Act. So, animal welfare laws now do not apply to him at all. In the bush, Freddy gets caught by a trap, say. Now, the trapper sees Freddy's leg and uh, that hasn't been too damaged. So he stops him from bleeding and decides that Freddy could make him a few dollars. So he sells him to a lab technician at a research facility. Now, in that research facility, the Australian Code of Practice for the Care and Use of Animals for Scientific Purposes, the Code of Practice for the Housing and Care of Lab Animals, and the Code of Practice for the Use of Animals from Municipal Pounds in Scientific Procedures, all these mandatory codes under POCTA, start applying to him. So Freddie now, as a research rabbit, is classified as a specified animal, a rabbit. So depending on the experiment, Freddie might be entitled to a nesting box with straw, but by law, he's also allowed to be starved from water and food by experimentation. So it's really a lottery. So next, the research department stops the funding, so the lab assistant decides to sell him on eBay. Now, a meat farmer spots Freddy on eBay and buys him as the main buck, so the main um, uh, boy, basically. The breeding rabbit. The breeding rabbit for his intensive farm production unit. Now, Freddy's daily welfare falls under a voluntary code of practice, as we discussed, the code of practice for the intensive husbandry of rabbits in Victoria, where he spends one year as a breeding buck in an isolated cage with minimal animal welfare protection before he's sent to slaughter. Now, under the Section 6 of POCTA, Freddy now is exempted and falls under the Meat Industry Act and is defined as a prescribed consumable animal, a rabbit. So, Kate, within a year, Freddy goes from being a family companion animal to a pest animal, a lab animal, and finally an animal kept for meat production. Each of those hold Freddy under different protections, either giving him protection from unnecessary or unjustified cruelty 
or exempting him from the operation of animal welfare acts. It's a great story to illustrate the craziness of these, the, the plethora of different laws that apply to the one same breed. Yeah, one same breed. And um, I've actually, um, during um, reading law and um, just looking at different animals, I haven't come across an animal that has so many mm. different specifications and different laws applied to him. Mm. And like you said before, it is a lottery. It's a lottery for the for the animal. Yes. Which which uh, which law they're going to fall under? Now, Aussie Farms is that big national animal activist organisation that was behind the Dominion documentary and mm-hmm. and those actions that came thereafter. Yes. And it's been taking a lot of heat in the media lately for all those the farm busts that they've been doing. Yes. And they've they've also collected some damning footage inside rabbit farms I think which are which it's available on their on their website right that's right yes has their controversial reputation impacted on your campaign um no I admire their work so much and this um work is so needed Mm. um they're basically putting their freedom at risk as Mm. we know now Mm. facing jail time Mm. just to expose cruelty that's um, uh, been overlooked by society for a long time. We're all part of it. Um, it hasn't impacted my campaign, and actually I contributed to the research for rabbits. Oh, great. Um, the, their, their footage has been amazing and has been broadcasted on um, uh, commercial TV in 2016. Oh, really? What On, the, on what shows? On, on Channel 7 News in uh, New South Wales. Fantastic. Yes, so um, it's it's out there um, for people to look at if they go to their websites and they can see all the different photos and see the conditions under which rabbits live. And it's really important, actually, their work has helped me analyse scientifically and law-wise what's happening to these rabbits. So I needed that footage, actually, to have a look. And we, we, we mustn't forget that um, a lot of campaigns that uh, non-vegans and uh, non-animal rights people, that um, they they go behind the campaigns, for example, um, live export. There's so many people now against live export and against the greyhound industry. Mm. All this footage come from underground investigation, undercover, sorry, investigations by such um, charities or animal rights groups. So we mustn't forget that a lot of their work is really important. It is. It's, it's vitally important. Can you remember the name of their, their website? If you Google Aussie Farms, you will um, definitely get... Okay. They, they made sure that um, they they go on the top of Google. Um, okay, great. Yeah. yeah. And so then we can see the, 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 the rabbit farm footage for ourselves. Yes, they, uh, Aussie Farms, um, they have all the different species of of um, animals and they have rabbits there and you can see rabbits used for food. Reem, I can't help but wonder if this whole discussion about farmed rabbits, if it's an, an impossible discussion to be having with the Australian rabbit meat industry because, you know, you're saying rabbit well-being means essentially that rabbit farms need to be banned, which then in turn means that those in the industry really have no position to retreat to because it's sort of there's a, it's sort of almost like a non-negotiable when you say we just have to ban rabbit farms. Now, if those 
if those places were banned, by logic that would lead to the banning of all factory farming, which clearly is currently an inconceivable proposal to the majority of Australians in this current political and social climate. So how can you rationalise your argument to, these, to, the, to the industry? And does it allow for perhaps for incremental reform? Mm, very difficult question. Um, I've thought about this a lot. And um, basically with rabbits, what do you do? I mean, now we can see hens, battery hens, and we can see this movement with consumers seeing the conditions of battery hens and pushing for free-range hens. And that's where that industry is going. Looking at rabbits, we have this extra layer uh, where rabbits, even from the start of um, this industry and the st- um, going back to the uh, late 1800s, all legislation was um, to, to approve the keeping of one or two rabbits up to commercial. It always specified rabbits had to be in a cage or enclosure because it didn't want them to escape and cause more uh, problems to agricultural land. So you, you basically... If you want rabbit meat farms, you have to have them caged. And we know with cages come really bad welfare conditions. You can't have free-range rabbits mm. because of um, because of that um, history Australia has with rabbits. And also Australia has four deadly viruses that they've released to eradicate rabbits, the myxomatosis and three variants of the Khaleesi. There is no um, vaccinations for myxomatosis at all in Australia. There is one vaccination for the Khaleesi virus. And um, when you think about it, even if farmers were trying to free-range rabbits, economically-wise, they'd have to keep them um, in a place against vectors, so against mosquitoes that carry mm. these diseases. So rabbits really have to be um, in, in, in the smallest area to be econ- an economically viable industry. You mean it has to be an intensive farm that, to make it viable? I, I think that's how um, farmers would look at it. Mm. And uh, the Khaleesi vaccine, uh, which is recommended to um, give the rabbits in farms as well, it's quite expensive. It's 6 to $9 uh, per, per vaccine. That's per, a lot. Mm. And uh, that was um, a, a problem why a lot of farms actually stopped in... Um, 2015, uh, one of the farmers was hit in Bega, New South Wales, and he lost 60% of his uh, rabbits as well by a new variant of the Khaleesi virus, which kills rabbits um, in horrific conditions within 48 hours. Like like you're talking about the suffering involved? Yes. Okay. Cages do not provide any animal welfare. I mean, are we happy as a society Mm. to look at this extreme suffering of this animal that's not needed. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm questioning, is this morally necessary? And let's question what is morally unnecessary. And rabbit meat farms are morally unnecessary because they're causing extreme suffering. Mm. And just um, looking at it as a, a niche market, it is unnecessary for the survival of human beings, mm. um, as we know um, all meat is. So... Um, Incremental reform, going back to your question, um, I I can't see rabbits going from cages to free range to stop them. It just doesn't seem possible to me, uh, logically. That would mean that 
if it's just a niche market, if it's just a luxury item of rabbit meat, it's something we don't need yet, then that would suggest we don't need chicken meat either. We don't need poultry. So if they ban rabbit farming, by logic, if you take that to its logical conclusion, they would also have to ban chicken farming, poultry farming. I would um I would like to see that myself and um logically I'm seeing also just the reverse where they're banning the cage for hens why don't we start talking about banning the cage for rabbits mm. and yes it is a luxury item meat mm. is a luxury item really um we hear we we have proof from science now we have the United Nations we have reports um coming out um plant-based diets are being um advertised and pushed uh, by huge um, organizations as the environmentally sustainable way to go. So um, and every week we can see in newspapers different plant-based um, um, restaurants, recipes mm. coming up. So um, it's not a difficult situation to be in. Mm. How do you allow for incremental reform? If you've said we need to go to a plant based diet but you're suggesting that we do need to go to incremental reform so how do you pick your lane yeah well um it saddens me to say that we are living in a welfare society we're governed by welfare laws animal welfare laws so if we want to work for animals now we have to work within these laws mm. but we ha- mustn't forget the end that we want to see an end to the use and abuse of sentient animals but we have to take a road where for example if we choose incremental uh, an incremental position we have to probably work um not with making a form of abuse like a cage bigger we have to remove the cage completely mm-hmm. not forgetting our end end of the line argument that we don't want to use animals but we also can't be complacent and just say look we'll just use a enriched cage and everybody else would again be very happy that animal welfare is protecting animals and here we go again a catch 22 situation so we have to keep working towards a goal but we have to work with what we have in your paper you advocate for a 10 key point system which to me read like a campaigner's action plan. Can you just run us through those 10 points? Yeah, um so these 10 points came from um an activist in the in the 80s called Henry Spira. And um he basically had a lot of wins against um animal abuse in America. And he um recommended that when we work on behalf of animals, his experience he put them down to 10 keys. um so basically refining how he got his campaigns to be successful um some of them are um to understand what people's current thinking is and where we could encourage it to go tomorrow um for um also he recommended that we should use a target on the basis of the vulnerabilities of public opinion so we can see that um uh, public opinion is really quite um big now against factory farming so use that as a target um set achievable goals um also um for example a challenge uh, what is morally unnecessary um talk to media 
then um, always establish credible sources of information, documentation, and that's why I've I've um, analysed the law, right? Because um, and and science as well. Yeah. Um, also, don't divide the world into saints and sinners is a really important one because a lot of, for example, restaurateurs like women, you asked me a question before, might not know mm. what's happening. Mm. So education is really important. Try to educate them. Mm. If they don't want to move, then you move in with a campaign. Mm. Um, uh, we should seek dialogue and attempt to work together to solve problems. So also we need we need the animal rights movement to come together. We need a coalition behind um, different campaigns. Um, avoid bureaucracy. Just stick to the point and not the politics, basically. And um, don't assume that only legislation and legal action can solve the, the problem. So we, while we're working in the law and the welfare... Um, people that are going and demonstrating, they're also very important because they're teaching um, others about, they're opening up the conversation. Um, people that um, um, do, you know, um, the voiceless people out there with their big screens as well, showing what's happening. That's all about education. Yes. Just getting the conversation going and educating is important. So that's about, about um, basic, the basic points it's a good set of points, actually. It's a really good set of points that could be applied to any animal campaign. Yeah, they're very practical they're advocacy. Very, yeah, they are, they are. They're excellent. Aside to your paper, which was a peer-reviewed published paper, you've also written a report, The Rabbit Meat Industry in Australia. What reception did that report have, as well as your paper? Has it been getting the attention that you'd hoped for? Um, it hasn't gone into... Um a lot of um, large NGOs yet. So that's what I've been uh, starting to work on. So basically, um, I published this uh, report in 2017 because I noticed that organizations weren't actually giving the rabbit a lot of attention. So I wrote this report from a behavioral side of things, analyzing what's happening to the rabbit right. in meat farms, just as a, as a startup education and then I decided to go into the law and anal analyze what's happening with animal welfare. So that's taking me a long time. It's taking me four years, four to five years to get all that data because, again, I needed credible information. Wow, that's a labor of love. That's incredible. <laughs> and um, so this year, my main aim is to come to people like you, <laughs> try to talk about it, uh, go to our um, amazing Animal Justice Party ministers that are there for the animals, ask them for help, what we could do about this information. And um, my next aim is also to go to big NGOs, um, not-for-profit organizations, and ask them for help to get this information out. Sounds like a good plan. Now, I'm sure that there's lots of listeners who are equally horrified by the cruelty that's routinely inflicted on these farm rabbits. What can they do to help expose this cruelty and, and, and bring it to an end? Um, keep the conversation going or start the conversation. Um, you can go, um, um, I have these two reports uh, free to download on my website, um, eversanctuary.org. Um, you can go there under research and publications and read them for yourself, um, email, uh, email me. Um, if you have any questions, um, talk to people about it. If you're um, a reporter, if you're in media, talk about this issue. 
um, or get in touch. Um, I'm starting now to look for um, collaborations. I've just spoken to um, the Animal Justice Party minister in Victoria, and he suggested that we start um, a coalition of people to to get behind any bill that's that would pass in Parliament to stop these farms, stop the cruelty. So we need people to get active. Okay. Where can we find your report and your paper? So if you go to um, uh, my um, association's website, www.eversanctuary.org, under the tab Research, under Publications, you'll see them both. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Reem. We've been talking with Reem Lascelles, who has been campaigning for an end to farmed rabbits in Australia, rabbits that are farmed for their meat. Now, that's all we have time for today. Um, You can follow us on Twitter and you can follow us on Facebook. Stay tuned for uh, Encyclopedia that's coming up at 2 o'clock. Now, Reem has got one more song that she's selected for us. If you could intro this song for us, Reem, and tell us why you, why you picked it. Yeah, Kate, it's um, a song by a group called Four Non Blondes. It's called What's Up. Um, the chorus has two amazing lines, and I really identify with one, one line where she yells out with frustration, what's going on? And that's my question, what's going on? And it's a question everybody should be asking now. What's going on? How can we let these sentient animals suffer that much? And her other line, she keeps saying she's praying for a revolution. It's time for a revolution, a physical one and an ethical one. We need to revolt for the animals. Absolutely. Thank you, Reem. Thank you for everything that you do. Good luck with the campaign. Stay tuned for Encyclopedia and let's listen to What's Up. See you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.